0: all right ladies and gentlemen welcome back to tabletop cyberpunk the podcast about cyberpunk 2020 red and any other tabletop versions of the cyberpunk genre by well no not other cyberpunk genre anyway it's by our talsorian games welcome guys Glad to have you here, and I'm happy to be here once again to talk about Cyberpunk. It's uh, been exactly one week, and a lot has happened. Cyberpunk 2077 was delayed. You know, we're not really going to talk about that today, because this is a tabletop Cyberpunk podcast. But I will say that my take, you know, in case you wanted to know what my take is, is, you know, it'll be done when it's done. It's okay. It can be done whenever. I do think it's strange to always like have a date only to not be able to, you know, I'm man of your word kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's just a little strange. I understand there's factors that come in between and like stuff like pandemics that are out of your control. But I I just think why have a date then, you know? So they, they they're saying September now. They shouldn't have even said September. In my opinion, they should just say, yeah, it's delayed. We're hoping that'll come out later this year. Just say that. And I know that it would be a shit storm, but I don't know. I just find it a little strange that you just have a date and then to come back and just like have a social media post about it to move it again. And I'm sure that they hate doing that. But anyway... My name is John John the Wise. You probably already know that because you're subscribed and you're listening to this podcast. But for those of you that are new, I make Cyberpunk 2020 and Red content on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Mixer, wherever. Mostly on YouTube. I make nice little videos for people that are new to the game or, or veterans and just want somebody's take on the whole genre end games. So, if you guys want to check it out, John John the Wise, J O N J O N the Wise, make sure you go there and you subscribe, you follow, you do all those nice things. And make sure you join our fan-made Discord. I am part of an amazing community that is super welcoming and every day they give they put a smile on my face because everybody's such a good person in this in this community and has really shown themselves to be mature and fun and and made this whole community really awesome. So shout out to the Discord and all of you are welcome to join us. The link will be in the description and it will also be on every single one of my YouTube videos. It's on my Twitter. It's one of my it's my pinned tweet. So if you want to find it, I'm sure you'll find it. Uh last thing I would say is if you guys are using Spotify or iTunes or any other app, if there's a please give it five stars if there's any kind of rating system that helps a lot for visibility of this podcast. So if you really, really, really want to help me out and you really care about this podcast or care about me, then you'll just go a little bit out of your way to find a way to rate the podcast and it would mean so much to me. Whoever, and if you do that, I'll make sure to shout you out on the podcast, okay? Much love. All right, so today I wanted to talk to you guys about when to use lore and when not to use lore. So lore in cyberpunk is one of those things that especially a lot of new players, they hit me up and they say, hey, where do I go for lore? There's so many source books. There's so many materials. And we even had Jay Gray on on podcast of the dark future that I do with Luke the Goon. We talked about uh Jay Grace from Martel Sorian, he's the media ambassador. He he told us that, you know, back in the day they threw around the license to a lot of people. And so there's so many different kinds of supplements and um what do you call it? In in not interdimensional. What's the other one? Alternate dimension, alternate dimension. Anyway, it's not canon lore. Like there's just like stories out there that are not canon. There's like I have the Knight's Edge right here. Night's Edge is a series that it's like vampires. They added a new stat, P-S-Y, Psy. It's like psychic powers and stuff. There's like vampires and werewolves and stuff like that. So the license got thrown a lot, around a lot. And as a new person, if you're like brand new to this game, and you're like, hey, I just want to wanna know about the lore, there isn't really like anywhere I can point, you, point to you other than like a few... Books like Home of the Brave is my number one lore book, but it's not the only one. There's there's a bunch of them out there. If you want to learn about Raish Bartmos or Ra- Rach Bartmos, I don't know how to say his name. It's not really clear. He's the big time net runner in cyberpunk. You'll have to get his book Brainware Blowout. And then there's other books too that talk about Alt Cunningham and and Johnny Silverhand and stuff like that. And to be honest with you, off the top of my head, I couldn't even tell you which books are out there so there's definitely like this thirst for the lore and people have always hit me up saying like where can i find this stuff john i, I just want to know about the lore because to be fair if you're coming from a game like D&D, it's a very lore heavy there's all kinds of books there's forgotten realms there's the dragon land series um i believe those are all the same right those are all Dungeons and dragons right anyway sorry to all the nerds that are upset because I don't know my lore, but you got all kinds of material, you know, and and everything is defined. The monster manuals defined. You can find a thousand stories on kobolds, a thousand stories on trolls, and stuff like that, and give you an idea of the world. Cyberpunk is a little bit, it's it's a little bit different. It was written at a different time. The concept of it was different. I think they just assumed that you would take the lore as inspiration and just read it like kind of like a an instruction manual because, you know, it's a core rule book. You read that, the lore is there just to give you some idea of what the world is going to be. But they always had, and I, I'm probably speaking out of turn, but they had this idea where they just wanted you to make it your own, you know? And they weren't trying to shove it down your face or tell you this is how things are supposed to be. They just tell you how they imagined it. At least that's my interpretation of what the lore is like. So, like, books like Home of the Brave, they just tell you a story using all the tools and stuff that are in Cyberpunk and tell you why things are the way they are, why Arasaka is in power, why corporations are in power, why people are dead, why there's nomads, and all kinds of stuff like that, bioplagues. And it tells you, you know, all that information... It's the best lore book, in my opinion. So what I wanted to tell you guys is when to lore, when not to lore. Number one, lore should enhance your campaign, not define your campaign. I've seen it happen way too many times with other games where a player will tell the GM, like, you know, hey, that that monster doesn't do that. And I've had that personally in my game. We call them rules lawyers. But this is this goes beyond rules lawyer. This is like someone who wants to be in control of the whole situation and wants to use their knowledge of the lore to to their advantage in the game. And once you take that advantage away by saying like, hey, this is my own interpretation of the lore, you're all of a sudden taking away their, their power and their knowledge, which they hold so highly. So I, I get that point of view, but really what I've realized is those same kind of rules lawyers, they they think that we're playing a, like a board game. Like you, you play Monopoly, you open up the box, you read the instructions, you follow the rules, and that's it. But tabletop gaming is not that simple. The instructions are there. Sometimes it comes with a box. Other times it's just a book. And really, they leave it up to you to figure out how you're going to do it. You might not even use dice. You might use cards. I've seen people use playing cards. I've seen people use all kinds of stuff flipping a coin you know there's all kinds of crazy systems out there that totally are different from each other and and unique and one thing i'll tell you about the lore is while the lore in cyberpunk is really awesome there might be parts of it that you don't want in your campaign or that don't make sense to you that or parts of it that you just want to ignore because you don't think they're interesting And that's why when I say you should enhance your campaign, not define it, I mean your campaign should be built around an idea that you're excited about. It should be an idea that that defines what what your game will be all about. Like let's say you're doing like a cop campaign. If you're doing a cop campaign and all your players are cops, having the protect and serve supplement, that's a good thing, you know? Having um, black hands is good. having the core rule book is good. You have those three elements your prop- my what I would do is I would just read those three books and then I would take the inspiration I get from those books and mold an idea myself and we're gonna talk about cops later in uh because we have a really cool question about police response time later on in the show but basically i want I want my campaign to exhibit an idea that I have. And if I am stuck on some kinds of ideas and inspiration on how things are supposed to be, the good thing is I have lore there to give me an idea. And that comes to my next point. Lore is inspiration. It's not law. It's not fact. Lore is just there to give you an idea of, hey, this is how we figured it out. You know, it's not enough to just make a a system like Cyberpunk 2020, and use the interlock or fusion or whatever, I don't know what it's called anymore. Taking that system and creating rule sets and classes and an idea, that's not enough. They had to make Night City. They had to tell you why the world collapsed. They had to explain to you what the Seward Act is, and, and all kinds of other stuff that happened throughout the lore in cyberpunk 2020 because if you just don't if you've never heard of william gibson or have never seen blade runner or don't even know what cyberpunk is you can open this book read it from cover to cover and you'll know what cyberpunk is and that's what they wanted to do and you'll know what the world is so if your player says i want to go to the library and 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 get a book from the library you you know what to tell them okay you probably need to take a cab you have to go through a shitty part of town you probably want a combat cab and then on the way there's a trauma team thing happening so these are all lore stuff this is all like you know stuff that's part of the lore it's not stuff i made up trauma team combat cab and um you know whatever else you want to think of these are all stuff that are suggested by the book so i'll take those things and use them as inspiration for example, I like the idea of trauma team, and I think it's safe to say that everybody likes the idea of trauma team. It's this ambulance service that has killers on it that come, and no matter what's going on, will extract you and protect you, and everybody respects and fears them. That's an awesome take on it. It doesn't just—it's not just a, a a commentary. It's also a commentary on how bad things are that your ambulance services have evolved to this point you know we're used to an am- the ambulance being like a part of like the firefighters if you're in the u.s you call them up and sometimes they're a private company and it's just it's just like regular guys that are doing really hard work but they're not trained killers or anything like that and they're not you know tactical killers they just show up they take care of you and they take you away but the fact that this is how it is now in cyberpunk the lore that of trauma team has given me inspiration in thinking like oh so how else has everything else evolved if the ambulance service is like that how what's the library service like is there even a library is is are they all long gone maybe i decided that oh those things are long gone now we have databases that you can just connect to on Every street corner, you just go into a little kiosk, you connect to a database, and there's all your library information. So using that, just just use that as inspiration. That's what I'm doing with Trauma Team and all that. Now, the next thing I'll say about cyberpunk lore is it's very close to ours, so it's very easy to homebrew. So if there's stuff that you don't know about cyberpunk or the cyberpunk lore, then Just think about what's going on in your life. Think about what's happening around you. And really, that's the cyberpunk lore. We've already approached the dark future. We're in the dark present now. So if there's anything that you're stuck on and you don't know how the police do things or how corporations do things, it's very, very close to what's going on in our life right now. The average person, our life, waking up, going to work, coming back home... That kind of stuff is very similar to what's happening in Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk just it's it just adds a layer of grim, dark, um, you know, hopelessness on top of all of the regular things that humanity does. It's like the worst version of our world. Right? Worst case scenario. That's what it is. But if you ever feel stuck with the lore and you don't know exactly how things operate you should always be ready to connect it to what's going on in your life. You know what I mean? So there it is. That's my whole take on the lore. Just wanted to give you guys how I, uh, my idea of how I feel about it. Because I'm one of those people that doesn't really care about lore all that much. And I know that's kind of like sacrilegious to say and blasphemous. And I know it can sound disrespectful, too, because they worked really hard on it. And this is their baby. Like, if I told Mike Pondsmith, hey, I don't really care for the lore, I'm a dick. I'm an asshole for doing that. And I'm pretty much telling him, you know, all this hard work that you did, it's not my style. But I do love, obviously, other parts of the game. I love the idea, ideas of the game. And you know what? I don't hate the lore, actually. I'm just... I'm just making a point. I don't hate the lore. I just like to make my own. I like to make my own ideas. And for the longest time before I read Home of the Brave, I was really stuck in my own ways when it came to Cyberpunk. Things were done the way I thought they were. And then I read Home of the Brave and instead of thinking like this is how it's supposed to be, it's now like how can i explain it it's as if it's another person's type it's another person's take on the cyberpunk world that's how i treated it i didn't treat it like it was a bible i just treated it like hey let's see what michael mcdonald is that his name uh sorry i have to look it up have to look it up i have it right here his name is Michael McDonald, I remembered. Written by Michael McDonald, Ross Spike Wynn, Ed Bohm, and Craig Sheely. Those four people, what is their take on cyberp- on Mike Pondsmith's cyberpunk? What did they have to say about it? And they had a lot of cool things to say about it, in my opinion. So, anyway, where where was I going with this? That's fun. When you lose your train of thought, my dog was, you know complaining over there and I looked at him and I'm like what? And now I don't remember what I was talking about. Home of the Brave, read it. Okay, yes. So their ideas gave me inspiration, but at the same time I wanted I wanted something to call my own. I wanted to make a story that was my own and something that I could be proud of. And I understand for people that are like new to the game that's really difficult for them and it's asking a lot. So I would never tell you guys that that's how you're supposed to do it, because that's not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to do whatever you want to have fun. If your idea of having fun is rules as written and sticking to the lore, then I'm nobody to tell you anything. But if you ever have difficulty trying to implement it, and difficulty creating a campaign, you might need to look at stuff like this, stuff like why you're having difficulty. Maybe you're relying too heavily on the lore maybe you're you're not doing enough homebrew you're you know and making your own custom things to enhance your campaign so you know i'm i'm of the philosophy that we're always scholars we're always learning and to always open your mind to the outside and listen to what they have to say i'll read books i'll read i'll look at uh, a one-shot adventures and see how they write it like for example, Carbon Twenty One Eighty Five. I have the book, and inside Carbon Twenty One Eighty Five, there is a the, a one shot little game, so you can play with your buddy. It's actually a pretty cool book. It has a whole system. It's based on DND Five uh, E. I have my issues with it, but it at the end of the book, it has after the monster manual, it has a one shot adventure. It has a map and everything. Tells you exactly how things are done. I really appreciated that that was in the book because it gave me an idea of how somebody else creates their, their, um, adventures and a high quality version of it too, with beautiful maps, uh, beautifully put together. It's not just some like thing that you see on a word document. And I looked at that and I, and it gave me inspiration on how I could do my adventures. And I thought, is this how I'm supposed to do it? Is this my way? How would I do this differently? What would I do to enhance this? Is this too basic? Does it need to be more complicated? I would just look at it, dissect it, and try to figure out what part of it I can use to enhance my campaign. So always be open to the outside. Always be open for inspiration. And don't rely too heavily on the source material to have fun. If you feel you're stuck, if you feel you need some help, then I, in my opinion, the best thing you can do is bounce ideas off of people. That's helped me more than reading any kind of book and getting inspiration. Is just bouncing ideas off of veterans of the game, veterans of other games, because you don't have to know anything about cyberpunk to be a good GM. You know, somebody could give you really good advice on being a GM and not have know anything about cyberpunk. So always be ready for stuff like that. All right. Let's go to internet questions. I got two of them here and they're let's do the police response one. So this is from Reddit from user King Turbo XX33111 uh 23 in Roman numerals. King Turbo23. And they ask about police response times. What are the response times around like around the city? I'm having my players commit robbery next session, and I can't find anything about it. So basically that has been one of my biggest uh, thoughts or or concerns as well when it comes to playing cyberpunk because the book, the books like Protect and Serve and the Core Rulebook, what they tell you about the police is they have a lot of technology, they're most likely corrupt, and good cops die, crooked cops stay alive, and they just do whatever they can to survive. They, they avoid some places like combat zones they don't they don't even deal with it or like corporate zones that have their own private security and don't want to be bothered and they have drones they have top of the line equipment they have c-swat they take down um s- cyber psycho killers that are out in the city le- that are loose in the city so they have a lot of resources but as we're playing my campaign and other campaigns and sessions, I've realized that my players have gone around shooting people, killing people, and basically there's no consequences from the police and I haven't and that's the reason i that's that is the way it is is well number one, when you watch an action movie, when the action movie star kills bad guys, the police don't come and arrest him. he gets away with it. There's no question. He doesn't even have to hide the body or anything. Somebody else takes care of it. We don't even think about it. And that's kind of the mentality of, of like what it's like to be a gamer in Cyberpunk as well. You don't want to have to think about the consequences of playing the game. Even though killing someone should have a consequence. So that's like the first thing that makes it difficult to throw consequences at your players. Number two... I if let's say I do bring the police in, what are they gonna do? What like what are they gonna do against all those resources that I just mentioned? Drones and police dogs, cyber police dogs, C SWAT. You know, in in Grand Theft Auto, when you get two stars and you start running away, if you don't get away in a certain amount of time, it goes to three stars, then four stars, then five. And that's kind of that that that's emulating the the cascading effect or the the rising uh, ascending effect of the police upping their resources to get you because you're more of a a danger out there, and with all the stuff that my players have done, yeah, granted they probably killed people that deserved it, that were also criminals, that were also bad guys, and you know it's the cyberpunk world, why it, somebody dying is no big deal. It happens all the time. It's a grim, dark future, right? But then why are the police so well-equipped? Why are they there? What is their purpose if they can't even enforce the law in a significant way? So I've been trying to figure out this the answer to this question as well. And basically, the only good thing that I could ever come up with is if the players are having a combat session and it's a firefight, If it goes on for more than, I don't know, 10 turns, then the police have to arrive. Now, 10 turns would be 30 seconds, right? Yeah, 10 10 rounds, it would be 30 seconds because the idea is each round, every player has a turn and each turn is three seconds. So if we do 10 rounds, that's 30, sorry, they get three, did I say 33? Sorry, let's start from the top. Each combat round, every player and NPC takes a turn. Each turn is three seconds. So 10 rounds is 30 seconds. So for the police to arrive within 30 seconds of gunshots is pretty insane. That's an insane response time and I don't see it happening unless they have some kind of infrastructure in place like CCTV cameras that have like AI connected to them and as soon as they see some sort of illegal activity it shoots information back to HQ and and there's already people in a uh, cops in a chopper ready to go That's the only way I can try to maybe do 30 seconds but that just seems like it's way too quick for the police to get there i think five minutes is the average time maybe three to five minutes is like the average time of the police to arrive at a scene in in our world so let's say if they have better technology let's say it's one minute one minute is 20 turns i've never seen combat go 20 or sorry 20 rounds i've never seen combat go 20 rounds never never not even the longest combat situation the longest combat situation i think i've ever seen was like 8 rounds so that therein is the problem the police are too slow to react they can't arrive at the scene in time it would they would have the players would just have to be unlucky that there are police nearby and if there are police nearby it's probably one squad car with one or two cops and there's six players and six bad guys they're they're gonna be like fuck this i'm I'm not gonna partake in this murder let them kill each other i don't care it's not worth it not unless i have backup and we can take them all out so they would probably avoid the conflict altogether anyway so so the police can't come in time all right so what do we do after that do we have an investigator a detective going around getting fingerprints and looking through cameras and then you know, right before my players kill the big, bad guy at the end of our season, the police come in with their guns blazing, and they're like, "You're under arrest for the murder of this guy, that guy and his mom and his dad and his friend, and every other person you killed in the campaign. It'll be like Monty Python and the Holy Grail at the end of the movie when the cops just come and just arrest everybody. That would be the worst way to end a campaign so there's my issue if you guys have any idea and how this can be remedied and how this can be fixed let me know because i don't i don't know what system can be put in place where the cops can arrive in time and there can be consequences to to what's going on usually the there's gunshots people call the police the police come within 3 to 5 minutes by the time they're there there's dead bodies and the people that were uh, alive are already long gone and that's usually exactly how it goes. All right? So, that's police response time. It was a non-answer, but it was uh I was just pretty much giving you guys my idea of how I think it would be. All right, second question. Is it possible to play an arms dealer? And I think this is a great question. It's from ZSM1996 from Reddit as well. To play an arms dealer, whoops. Playing an arms dealer Not only is it possible, but it could be one of the best campaigns that you're ever a part of, because you're not just playing some kind of mercenary solo. Your whole campaign can revolve around this arms dealer. Obviously, they would have to be a fixer, and all the other players and this fixer would be working together for selling these arms, procuring them, finding clients... You're, it's pretty much arms dealing simulator is what you would be playing for this campaign. To just have it as a hobby on the side—that's that your player does just does not seem like it's realistic. You don't—you're not one foot in, one foot out with arms dealing. That's either your gig, or or you don't do it. So if you if you want to play an arms dealer, I think as a player you would have to float that to your GM. And your GM would have to think, like, does that work with my campaign? And I'm the type of person that doesn't like saying no to my players, especially when they have an idea and they're like, hey, this is the kind of character that I want to play. I don't like saying no to that. So instead of saying no, maybe your GM can try to figure out a way to get the whole group around being an arms dealer and make it a business. All right, guys, I'm back. Sorry, I had a little bit of a family emergency. Everything's okay. Um, We're going to wrap it up anyway. But as I was saying, my players in the first season of our campaign became mobsters. And we decided that for the second season that they would continue being mobsters. They are now the leaders of... Well, one of them has become the leader of the mob that he was originally from, as most of them were killed. And he actually ended up being one of the most powerful mobs in Night City. So our whole second season is going to be revolving around running the business of a mob. You know, racketeering, gambling, prostitution, arms dealing, all kinds of stuff like that. So what has happened is we've naturally evolved the campaign into taking into consideration the stuff that has happened in the last campaign. So stuff like being an arms dealer, if that's something that you want to do, I think it's either your GM revolves the entire campaign around it, or it it becomes delegated to a small thing that you used to do. So you're still considered an arms dealer, but maybe you're out of the game and focusing on other ways to make money. This still introduces the idea that The GM can throw at you where like a client, an old client of yours says like, hey, I'm looking for some guns and you say, oh, I'm out of that business. And then they say, well, uh, this is how much I'm willing to give you. And you realize that's like three times as much as you usually would have made. And now all of a sudden your, your calling is back. So you tell the other players, hey, we got some an opportunity to make some really good money here. So why don't you guys help me out? with this old client of mine and it can turn into like something completely different it could become like betrayal backstab he was never going to pay you or it becomes something where you get caught up with the police and blah 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 so as far as playing an arms dealer i think it's fun i think it's a great idea and i think that stuff like that make really interesting campaigns really interesting characters We've all seen the same old characters, okay? The same solo who's a badass, who's ex-military, or ex-corporate security, or blah blah blah. We've seen that stuff before. Give us something different. Give us a net runner that was a corporate net runner that is now in the streets and anonymous, and is hunted by net Netwatch. Net is that what they're called? The the net kind of yeah, I think they're called Netwatch, right? Anyway. But that's it. Yeah, let's come to a screeching halt, ladies and gentlemen. The podcast is over. But that's my take on being an arms dealer. I want to thank you guys so much for being a part of this podcast and listening to me ramble about cyberpunk and being patient with me, listening in and getting to the end of this podcast. If you're here then I really, really think that you like this podcast. And if that's the case, then you should definitely leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else the podcast is available, okay? Love you guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and we'll see you on the next one, okay? Take care.